Hello, welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, and human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now, here's your host, two-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kosowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we talk about leadership, business, and human potential. And today, like no other, I have a special guest. And this one's extra special to me because she taught me about celebrating birthdays for as many days as you are old. So without further ado, please let me introduce you to Debbie Marizic from The Sales Company. She is president and a founder. And a reminder to you, you don't have to be great to get started but you do have to get started to be great. Debbie Marizic coaches and consults with Fortune 500 companies, CEOs, solo entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, business startups, and family businesses, helping her clients to identify their toughest sales challenges and guiding them through the process of developing and devising a clear, concise plan, a roadmap to achieve their vision and exponentially grow by working smarter, not harder. With wisdom, sincerity, perspective, and impressive skill set, she counsels and advises and then prioritizes for real results. As talented, dynamic, energetic, world-class speaker, Marizic tackles invaluable content. Audience describe her creative, engaging presentations as passionate, upbeat, and compelling with a dash of humor. She authored The Field Guide to Sales, the all-weather, all-terrain guide to selling, in addition to other books, countless blog posts, articles, sharing her expertise on sales growth, support, and accountability. So glad. Please welcome Debbie Marizic to the show. Hello, darling. Welcome, and thank you for having me. I love being with you. <laughs> and thanks for introducing the book. How fun. Yes, and if you don't have this, you need to have this on your bookshelf. Not just a shelf help. It is your resource guide to sales. Yes. Absolutely. So as I was going through your book and thinking of the questions I wanted to ask, the one that stood out the most, which is the most obvious, is what is the elephant in the room, especially in your own company, that no one wants to talk about when it comes to sales? Are you you're asking for me? Yeah. Yeah. That elephant in you the know, room. You know, I think, yes, I, I think the elephant in the room would be something somebody told me right as I began consulting 22 years ago is that you can be great at sales and, you know, getting the business in, but then you get wrapped up in doing the deliverable and you forget to be doing the marketing. And so that marketing is oftentimes the elephant for me. Yeah. And, and as business owners, we get into business and, you know, we think about working in the business versus, and you want to be working on the business, but it's so easy to get caught up in that operational place, the logistics. And Absolutely. When you, when you, when you're a one person business, especially. Yes. 
And when you have that emphasis on marketing, which is really, really important, because I think, um, and maybe this is what you're going to talk about when it comes, you have this in your book, creating an early warning system. So you avoid a sales slump. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So um, when you are, it, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever day, if you come to the end of the day and you have not made uh, one sales call, one prospecting call, one, one anything to grow your business at the end of the day, before you shut down your office, before you're finished, then um, make that one call you know, do that one thing. And then if you could do that on a continuous basis, then you will have business all the time. What happens is we don't do that. And then, you know, then we don't have anything going on. And then we're in a panic and then we don't get anything done when we're in a panic. So uh, establishing, you know, a process where every day you do something. Now, some days you may be doing great things, like you're at a conference and it's the right kind of conference for you to be with the right kind of people. You're meeting all kinds of people. You're having meaningful conversations. You're prospecting brilliantly. You're doing a ton, but you need to be doing it every day. So it's as simple as one phone call a day. Like yes, people think, absolutely. oh my gosh, I should be making 10 phone calls a day. And when you're, let's say you're presenting or facilitating, part of your work is training, 8 yes. to 4.30, how do I fit that in? You know, yes. thinking I got 10 more calls and then nothing gets done. Exactly. And, you know, and I think for a lot of people, what happens is they, um, you know, it's like, it has to be something specific. It has to be hard. It's complicated. And here's the deal. You know, um, what is the old children saying? Step by step, it's a cinch. But people think it has to be something big and glorious. The day by day, think about it this way. If you didn't do anything this month to create new business, except make one phone call a day. And the deal with one phone call a day, if somebody calls you back, you are going to return that call. You know, so you may think you don't have time, but when somebody calls you and wants something, you will make time. So if you do one call a day, five a week, 20 a month, uh, what is that, 240 a year. You cannot tell me that you make 240 calls a year and nothing will happen. And then breaking that down, how many new clients do you need this year? Well, if you've reached out to 240, I trust most of us do not need 240 new clients to make our business what we want it to be this year. I know I don't need that many. It would be great. We'd have a different problem. But, you know, so breaking it down into bite-sized pieces and uh, executing on it and just, I, I mean, being religious, you do not... Uh, you do not leave your desk, your car, wherever you're finishing your day before you make that one important call. That's a powerful nugget because I know even myself, there's been days that you're like, oh, well, nobody's around. And the biggest lesson that I learned from one of my mentors is saying, they have answering machines. You can leave a message and the first thing that they answer the next day is hearing this bubbly message from you about an opportunity for you to connect with them. And you know, often, for, often it's an all or nothing philosophy. And you know, uh, years ago when I started my career, I started at Texas Instruments. I sold semiconductors, printed circuit boards. I helped people build technology. 
And in the beginning, it was like people lifted up the technology as if it was like, whoa. But it's not about the technology. It's what does the technology do for you? Voicemail is a technology that can work for you every day. I had one of my first clients uh, told me that she really did not want you to answer the phone the first time, four, first four times she called. The first time she called, she had something she wanted to impart. The second time, something she wanted to impart. The third time, something she wanted to impart. And by the fourth time, she felt like she was your friend, whether you thought she was or not. But she had imparted this information, so you were like ready to be on her Christmas card list. And so using voicemail as a tool, as you know, yes, it is a technology, but a tool that works for you. To your point, thinking about, I, I really, I, I don't care if they're there. What is meaningful is that when you leave that message, you are compelling. You know, you are engaging. Yes, you need to say your name and, and you know, your company kind of thing. But, but what, ask a question. What do you want them to think about before they speak to you? You know, and have them think about that. Give them a little data. And then it's amazing. And to your point, Deborah, I know you were this way as I am. Yes, people feel our energy in our voice. Even if they do not know us, they would not think we are sad sacks. You know, they can feel that energy. They feel the positivity, the intentional. And so when people come in, to your point, first thing in the morning, they listen to this voicemail. And it's like, who is this? You know, and all. I need to know her. You know, and then really listening to, because you've left a compelling message to what you have to say. So really thinking about what's involved in a compelling message. I know some people say use a question. Some people say use stats or data. Um, I, I'm going to just use myself as an example. So I have a brand new book that just got listed on Amazon to, um, yesterday called Let's Be Curious. And one of the things as you were talking, one of the compelling things is, do you find that people aren't asking the questions that they really want to be asking? Absolutely. And how can we do that? How can we get yeah. people to ask better questions to get what they truly want? So that would be my example. I'd like to hear more of yours. So, um, you know, there's a difference between being sturdy, uh, assertive and pushy versus um, really being smart. So a compelling question to me is, I am looking for the question that brings out, and stick with me on this, that brings out the most angst in them. The most angst. So I do believe it's a question. So for example, right now, we're at the end of the third quarter. You know, so a question that I might leave today is, how far off are you on your number this month? What is that going to do to your, um, your, your bonus? What is it going to do for your bottom line this month? Let me tell you, that is direct and to the point. I don't even need to know what the number is, but I know when they hear that question and they're off their number, there's a, ugh, you know, they feel it. And then, you know, to say, and so how bad is this going to be, you know, kind of thing that they, they are thinking it. So instead of all the fluffy stuff people usually want to say about, oh, my company does this, that, the other, and all, getting to that question, getting to emotion, because I, I believe people buy on emotion. Now, if in fact the person you left that message for is doing awesome 
this month, this quarter. They, you know, nine times out of 10, I find they call to tell me that. You know, Debbie, I guess you assumed we're doing badly, but we're really doing great, to which then my question is, so what can I do to help you make it even greater? You yeah. know, how do you get up the next rung of the ladder? And then so you start I, a conversation, right? It's yeah. not all of a sudden that you're selling them something. And this is, I think, where people go for the jugular <laughs> sometimes or yes. at a networking event, they're handing out their cards like blackjack. It, it's right. not about that. And I know just our conversations that we've had in the past, it's really about building that conversation and connection. Yes. I, um, I really do believe that sales is a conversation and, and salespeople do themselves a great disservice by not having conversation. You know, think about the day that you first met your best friend. You know, you probably didn't know that that person was going to be your best friend, but how did that work? Well, you were asking questions, you were getting to know them. You know, you didn't ask about what their balance was for their bank account or something like that. You know, you were getting to know the person. What do they do? What are they interested in? That kind of thing. I believe, you know, the reason most people struggle in sales is because they think it's something like, you've got to be that pushy, you know, and that's not any of it. I truly believe, and I tell people this, so on your first phone call, your voicemail that you're leaving people, what is the question that you want to ask there? What do you need to know in that first phone call to know if it makes sense for you to move forward or not? Because time is very finite. And the second part of that is for the customer, the customer's time is finite. How hard is it to get time with the customer today? So if you're chit-chatting about this, that, and the other that doesn't really pertain to them versus asking very direct questions that they really have a feeling about that they need to take action on, you can do something right now. You're not wasting their time by giving them all this other information that might, might not be pertinent. And I know, for example, you and I can do many things in the area of sales and people and development and those kind of things, but they don't need all that. The onus is on us to find out as quickly as possible what do they need and deliver that. So why waste their time in saying all those other things? But then the same is true. So you have that compelling question when you're getting them on the phone, but then the same for your first visit. What do you need to know in that first visit with them to know that they're even right for you to move forward? Then if you move forward, what do you need to know in the second visit? So I'm not talking about a script like um, the company that calls you at dinner time and interrupts your dinner and they, they're, they're reading off a script like blah, 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 blah. I'm talking about, you know, your business, you know, your product services, you know, what benefit they hold, what they do for people. So in order to get to the answer, which you want to be, yes, I want to do business with you. What are the questions that you ask along the way? And that way, you know, if you're asking them up front, then you're a lot less likely to waste time on places that you have no business being in the first place. Yeah. And what I'm finding is that people forget to ask those questions. But since you brought it up, for anybody who's nervous about or been avoiding making those sales calls, um, how do you step through that? And this is going to be two part. And the second part is how does planning your sales calls save you? So people are avoiding and also how do you plan for it? Right. Um, I, I believe in the philosophy of what I call the 20 seconds of courage. 
You know, so if you really, you know, say you really believe in what you're selling, I think that's really the most important. If you're not believing in what you're selling, that fear thing, that nervousness, that probably isn't going to go away. But if you really believe in what you're selling, then what I tell people is to have that 20 seconds of courage. So to your thing about the sales call, I believe it should be planned. You know, you have that question already planned. You know what you want to say. Like I said, maybe it's not a script, but you have the question written down. So you articulate it very specifically. And so if you just kind of hold your breath, dial the number, they're going to say hello, and then you deliver. Just deliver it. And then put it down and you can just, you know, you can exhale. But I think sometimes for some people it's like, 20 seconds of courage because then when they do it it's like oh my heavens i did it oh my gosh i did it and then they, when they do it and they actually do it hang up the phone didn't explode nothing bad happened then they're more inclined to do it again but the thing to really make that pop though is to be prepared for that call know who you're calling know what you want to ask know what you want to have happen but you know if they say yes to that question no to that question and if you get them on the phone which is just a miracle in this day and time that anybody answers their phone well then you've got to be prepared so you're not only going to want to be prepared for that voicemail that you may leave but you also have to be prepared in case they do answer the phone so what's the next thing you want to ask what is the next thing you need to know in order to know that it's good to move on with them yeah so here we have the voicemail so you know you can do it any time of day so you get that one call in every day but knowing that it's okay when you get someone live and not to hang up before you say hello to them at, because you're afraid, but to have that list of questions and knowing exactly. And, you know, when I first got involved in business, I would pick up the phone and I would just chit chat this. And then I forgot about my offer. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, for calling. <laughs> right. So it ended up being about building the relationship, which wasn't a bad thing, but to be intentional about what I wanted to get out of the call. It not, not necessarily was that it was going to be a sale but to tell them about what I have to offer them. Otherwise it just became just a friendship. And I was like, Oh, that's well and good, but they don't leave with me being on top of mind right? Um, when they do need that service or product that they would think of me because we didn't talk about it. Well, I think there's a fine line and, and I have been doing this for many years and that fine line in building the relationship and then getting to the point of the call. So here's what I think is that in the very beginning, like that first call, that first voicemail, or if you get them on the phone, uh, not that you don't want to have a relationship with them, but remember you're giving an impression of yourself already by the tone of your voice, the fact that you're prepared, you're asking a question, uh, you've been professional, you've left a voicemail instead of them looking at the phone and going, who was that? Nobody left a voicemail and they're seeing the number they don't know. <clears throat> so you are giving, you know, and that's how we build relationships is people getting to know us. So there's things that you were doing that intuitively, subconsciously, they are knowing something about you, but because you do not know them, you, the most important thing is, is to get to the place that is this who I should be talking to? And the way to do that most directly is through asking those questions. Because the quicker you get to that question and know they have a need, 
and you have a solution, then you will get to that relationship more intense, more um, every day, you know, where you're developing that. But unless there's somebody that can buy what you have, you're spending all this time on the relationship and you never get anything. You know, you've met a wonderful person and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not what you need to do. So it's like when you were in the conversations in sales about, um, they um, do, um, sorry, the phone rang, it lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, when, when you're having your second or third meeting and then, you know, you have to be talking about budget and stuff like that. Well, people don't want to talk about budget until the negotiating. The negotiating time is the last time to be talking about budget. You should have been talking about budget at the very first meeting. So what budget do you have approved for this project? Well, if they say right then and there, we have no budget approved for this project, well, this needs to be a real short conversation on your part until they get that established. So when can I get back to you? When is the board meeting, the CFO deciding, when will they have that budget approved? And when they do that, then you get back to them and talk further about what you can do for them within that budget, if in fact it fits what you do. Yeah. What is your biggest lesson? So you made a mistake. Um, I know I've made many in the sales yes. process. Yes. Um, what is your biggest mistake that you have learned that is something that can be an easy fix for one of our listeners or viewers? Oh my gosh. You know, the, the biggest mistake it ha for me has been not addressing it. I was so ashamed about it. I knew it was a mistake and I just never called back. I still think about it to this day. Mm -hmm. So as my career went on and I would make a mistake, um, I decided, you know, okay, if you make the mistake and you're not going to have the client anyway, why not at least appease your conscience, call them back and apologize. They may not accept your apology. They're never going to do business with you again, but at least you did. My biggest mistake was one I did and I never called. I, I it still, I have feeling about it this second, just even thinking about it. So mine is to call them back, to apologize, to own it. You know, this is what I did. And I am so sorry. Is there a way that we can work around this? Could I do this? You know, have things that I could do. And they may simply not be able to do it. You know, another easier kind of mistake is, have you ever told somebody, you've asked permission, you know, Deborah, may I call you back? I understand you're not ready today, but you said in two months, you'll be reviewing this again. May I call you back in two months to discuss this further? And perhaps you say, yes. Well, I should have written that down on my calendar very specifically, which I normally would call you back in two months and ask you. And then maybe three months from now, you come to mind and I go, oh my heavens, I told her I would call back and I didn't. So what I used to do is not call them back. I was just embarrassed. But what I've done over the years is I call you back and say, Deborah, we talked three months ago. I asked your permission to call you back in two months. You were very graceful and said I could, and I forgot. You know, is this opportunity still there? Would you do it? And here's what nine times out of 10 happens with that is most people say, oh my gosh, girl, don't worry about it. We weren't ready anyway if you call me back on the right day. So let's go. And even in big mistakes, you know, where 
before you call and apologize. I find most people to be very graceful about it. You know, seldom is somebody come back and go, well, you're a moron and we all know it. They don't do that. You know, they've made mistakes too. So I think owning them and dealing with them the best you can. Yeah. And maybe you can speak to one of my biggest mistakes. One of my biggest mistakes was meeting with a group, um, assuming that they were the decision makers and later finding out that they were taking the information from the session and going to talk to someone else. And I never had a chance to speak to the decision maker. Yes. I didn't end up following through on, on the project. And I was so frustrated with myself because I had put in a lot of work just to realize that they wanted the content, but without any contract. Again, that was the smart part is to say, this is my content. But the second part was not talking to a decision maker. Right. So, you know, when we talk about in the beginning, you know, asking the tough questions, the questions that, um, you know, elicit emotion, you know, like how far did you miss or what? This thing with the decision makers, you know, so oftentimes salespeople, they're just so glad somebody will talk to them. You know, it's not about getting somebody to talk to you. It's about getting the right person to talk to you. So what kind of things do you ask up front to know that you have the right decision maker? Well, you've got to ask very direct questions. You know, have you bought this before? No. Has your company procured this before? Yes. Who bought it when they procured it before? Why are they not buying it today? And it is then that sometimes what happens in that conversation says they are, but I'm just, you know, oh, so what part are you going to play on this? Are you part of the team? You're gathering information. When will we be talking to the decision maker? So being very emphatic with your language and your, and very direct with your questions. And I also believe uh, that if the questions are open-ended, you know, who usually does this? Oh, well, it's Mary. Great. Why is Mary not in this meeting right now? Is she not going to be deciding on this this time? Oh, she is. But today she wanted me to get this, this, and this for her, and then she'll be in the next meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're all right then that day not having the decision maker. But it's for yourself too, is being very almost firm with yourself that if you are not in front of the decision maker and you know the decision maker is who makes, you know, you're, there are other people in the company other than key decision makers that buy things. We all get that. But, you know, getting to as quickly as possible, who really is going to buy it? Who's really going to sign on the bottom line? And how quickly do we get in front of that person? How do we influence that? Exactly. So this leads me to my next question. What is the difference between genuine interest and the interest in the sale? You know, and I will tell you, for me, truth be told, there have been times that um, I've needed the money. So I have done sales that I was not necessarily interested in, or I wouldn't have put up with the kind of crap they were delivering if I didn't need the money. So I think we all have to be honest that sometimes in our business, not necessarily even in the beginning, you know, I've had very established business and then, you know, something like 9-11 happened. I lost 85% of my business in three days. 
I'm good, but I'm not that good to replace that much. So I did a lot of things for free for the next few months just to keep busy. And then I did some other things very reduced that I wouldn't have wanted to do, but I did. Uh, so I think the genuine interest is, you know, I really believe in what I do and helping people with their sales. And I, I am as invested when, when I engage with them, I, I am invested like I own their business. I want them to increase sales. Those are the people I really love to work with. I don't care that they know anything about sales, but are they passionate? about what they do and are they intentional about getting results? Because I am very passionate about what I do and helping you get what you want. So I think there's that and I think that's the place we need to play in, you know, all the time. But I would be a Pinocchio if I didn't say that there had been business that I took that I wasn't really interested in. And, and yet to that point, and I agreed to take it because of the money, I still tried to deliver on it like I genuinely cared about what I normally care about. Yeah. Because people can sense that out. They do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how, how I mean, that, excuse me, that, that's the thing, you know, where uh, sometimes when people lose a piece of business and they just don't get it, you know, they, they feel like, well, I did this, I did this, I had this, I had that, and, I, and then they lose it. Well, it's the thing where people are always going to buy from people. You know, people don't buy from machines. They buy from people. And so when they're buying from people, it may be that you have the exact same thing as the other person, but somewhere in the buyer's mind, the other person had it. What's it? Well, we aren't very good at defining it, but we know it when we see it. So it is that the it can be that intuitive, like, I really believe this person would stick with me through this. This is going to be tough. I really believe this person has more experience doing this, even though that's not exactly what they said here. I think they'll get us through it. So they pick the one that they think has it. Mm. And finding what that it is, that's about, you know, really being the one that people think of at that moment. Yes. And it could be the charisma, it could be the knowledge base, it could be so many things, but it depends on that person's perception. And also when you don't get the sale, not to take it personally, but to learn Absolutely. from it. Yes, because you know, nine times out of 10, people really have a hard time with the rejection. But the truth is the person that's rejecting them doesn't really know them. So how can they be rejecting you if they don't really know you? They're simply rejecting whatever you offered or whatever you had. It's not you personally. Now, it might have something to do with you because of the way you offered it or something, but you can work on that. But it's not a personal. And I think that is one of the hardest things when I was young, thinking that, you know, when they said no, you know, I would literally leave like the, <clears throat> the dog with the tail between the legs, like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, kind of thing. And then, you know, um, and I write about it in the book, I had a situation where the gentleman told me no, and he was emphatic in his no. I do not know what possessed me. So I got my things, got up, got to the door, but turned around and looked at him and said, are you absolutely sure no is your answer? And he laughed. Well, when he laughed, it was like, that really changed me. So instead of leaving there, like I was feeling like I was, you know, just lurking out, I laughed too and said, 
well, it doesn't hurt to try. So after that and every time since, that probably was the biggest thing for me that happened about that rejection and it not being about me. It just wasn't my day. Yeah, yeah. And that moving on and moving, failing forward or however yeah. it approaches, is just pick up the next. And so often you hear the is next, keep going. Yes. That's it. Because, you know, each one of those that you do, you're, I hope you're taking time to really assess what happened because those are great learning examples. What is it they say? You know, we, um, um, the things that most challenge us, most strengthen us. But if we don't pay attention to what challenges us, we never get to the strength. That's right. So you talk in your book about first aid for sales. What does that mean? <laughs> okay um let's see so what did i say as far as first aid was it um oh my gosh this is where i love it when you when you read a book and somebody says on page 95 you said and it's like oh my gosh what did so you page it's 95 applying sales first aid to only those areas that need it so i'm, I'm gonna guess that if it's not broken don't try and fix it. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, what, what, we're, what I think it is what really does need to be fixed and being honest about that, you know, and sometimes I don't think we can be very honest about that ourselves. You know, we need to talk to other people. What do you see that's working? Uh, have you ever done the deal where you've had somebody call your clients for you? No, not myself. Uh, I did consulting for 10 years and it occurred to me one day that maybe I wasn't doing as good as I thought I was, that I have clients that are really, really wonderful. And I wasn't sure that they would tell me if something wasn't right. So I hired somebody outside of myself, again, not the person that calls you at dinner and annoys you, but somebody that could really carry on conversations. I had particular questions to ask them about how they experienced it, what went on and all, and they had these conversations. And this person came back. I can tell you at that point in uh, my business, uh, this was one of the number one things that everybody had said that I had no clue that I was delivering. And since then, I talk about this and it's been astronomical for my business. So, you know, the first day being willing to go to somebody that can give you help. And so hiring the right person that could talk to these clients of mine. And what they came back and said was, have you ever had your call at 10 o'clock on Tuesday with her and not been prepared? And the person knew me who was doing the calling and said, well, if it's her, I can imagine. And the people would say, she holds us accountable, period. There's no excuses. She's not our business partner. She's not our banker. She's not our employee. She's not our significant other. She's not our partner. And she holds us accountable. Well, I didn't even know that I had a problem in my business by not articulate, articulating what one of the number one things was that my customers were asking me, or not asking me, that would tell people that I do. Yeah, that's amazing. Because in sales, how do we hold ourselves accountable to yeah. follow up the biggest one? 
ask for referrals. Yes. And make sure that we're going with a call with intention. Yes, exactly. And so one of the things that I do when I work with my clients, I always say, you know, I could teach in colleges and I do sometimes special classes and stuff, but I'm not much about teaching the tactical. I'm about teaching what do you need this week, this week to make something happen on your bottom line. So if you commit to me, uh, you know, yesterday was Tuesday at 10 o'clock and you committed to me that you were going to call these three companies or three people or whatever. And you come to the call 168 hours later, next Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. And you tell me that you didn't call them. You know what? I I'm going to have your butt, you know, <laughs> tell me. Why did you not call them? What did you, you know, what, what possibly, and you know, yes, there are of course crises that come up like yeah. Harvey. But we got the voicemail. Yeah, you got, the, you got voicemail. You got a pass for that. But you know, the truth is real accountability even takes it down to that level. You know, not just, you know, accountable for our plan, you know, uh, we're going to make, but, but really getting it done you know, getting it done. And because what I do know that in 90% of the sales, these statistics have been done in America, but Deborah, I can't imagine they're any different in Canada. 90% of the sales are done by 10% of the people. When they have done the analysis on this, this is McGraw-Hill that did this study. When they did the analysis on this, the things that those 90% were doing that the 10 did not were the things like doing the work actually taking the action, not just making the plan, but taking the action on the plan and not just the big action on the plan, but all the little actions, the little details, you know, uh, engaging others in your success, helping them get to where you want them to be. And so it is, um, you know, that that's one of the biggest things I think in first aid is just figuring out what you really need and getting the right kind of care. So how do you prioritize your, your work, getting started, getting, starting your day? Because what I've just heard is we, you you're, hold people accountable for their week, but, yes. and we also talked about what you can do in your day. So how do you set, up, set yourself up to be successful? Very good. So the whole reason I wrote that book was because of chapter one. I worked for a gentleman and I dedicate the book to him and say at 25, I thought he was a monster only because Jen King, who helped me put the book together, said I couldn't say the other words I wanted to say about him. <laughs> bless her heart. <laughs> yes, God bless her. She's smiling down. Uh, but at 50, realized he was brilliant. And so here's the deal. What he taught us to do was to do a sales forecast. And uh, this isn't just any forecast. This is a forecast that you work every single day of the year. Not that week between Christmas and New Year's when your boss wants you to put to, you know, together a forecast and then you do it. It's bogus from the moment you do it because you have no interest between Christmas and New Year's doing that. And then management tries to manage to that to the rest of the year. 
we do what we call a rolling forecast. So today is September 13th, 2017, and we start our forecast today. We start where we are. So we figure out who are our customers? Who do we have today? How much money have they given us? How many orders have they given us? Have they scheduled orders? We document that. We do our proposals. We identify our suspects, and suspects are people we say are people that you don't know them and they don't know you yet, but maybe you got up this morning, saw the paper, read about a company you don't know, but they sound exactly like somebody you know. So those are a suspect. They become a prospect when somebody introduces you or you meet them or, you know, you've connected one-on-one and then, you know, they move to what I call um, um, an outstanding lead when you define something specific that they might want to do, but they haven't asked for a proposal. So when you have that forecast in place, that is your template for your day. So every single day you get up, you look at that forecast, you start at customers. Are all your customers taken care of? Are there any outstanding items? Because it's a whole lot easier to keep someone than to get a new customer. So whatever needs to be done for current customers, that's the first thing of the day, whether it's you doing it or you're delegating it to somebody, but they are taken care of. Second, you look at your proposals. What proposals do you have outstanding? What needs to be done? How can you move that forward to getting that closed more quickly? Then to your outstanding leads, you know, what's happening there? What's additional information you need? How can you get that to a proposal stage? Who could help you? Where could you get additional information that would get you there? And then your prospects. Have you seen all those prospects? Have you met them in person? Where have you left that off at? How do you need to follow up with that? And then last for your day is your suspects. What can I do to move one of those forward today? So if you develop a sales forecast and you use that as your template for what you do today and every day, so you're updating that every day, Here's how it generally works. I go into a client, they're new, and this is something we do the first week. Do you have a sales forecast? I'm here to tell you nine times out of 10, they do not. And if they have something they call a sales forecast, it really isn't one. So the first week assignment, they make their forecast. Well, I ask them on the first week before they have their forecast, how much business would you like to do this year or in the next 12 months? Because this is a rolling forecast. And say they say, I'd like to do 200,000. Great. Well, they go away the first week. They create the forecast. I don't go back to the office with them. I don't create the forecast with them, but they come back the following week. They have their forecast and they have identified $500,000 worth of business and opportunities. So my question then is, do you want to do 200,000 or 500,000? I can help you either way. Well, of course, people want to do 500,000. So back to the 90% of the sales that do 10% of the sales business, this planning at this detail and managing it every day and looking at it and letting your forecast be your guide, this is one of the most powerful, powerful tools in sales that I have used always. And wow. done millions of dollars. Great lesson yes. that you learned yes. long ago that, you know, becomes more relevant as we go on. Right. And, you know, and what I told him was, you know, it was so amazing. If when I worked for him, you would have ever told me, this is what I would base an entire business on and, and do this and be doing it 22 years. I, you know, I would have just called the <laughs> limit, told them to come get him. 
Well, when the student is ready, the teacher does appear. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Yes. So one of the, I just, it's caught me in my tracks is that you had this phrase called back away from the skunks. <laughs> Who are those skunks? <laughs> They're the things that are not working. You know, the things that, um, you know, you, you know, you shouldn't be there. They're smelly. They're awful. They're, ugh, you know, and especially women, I feel like really know, but they stay. It's like, oh, I can make him smell pretty. You know, I can make it better. No, go away. Go away. Yes. Just go away. <laughs> and I think we get ourselves into those situations very easily because it's like they need my help yet at the same yes. time you have that internal inkling and it's against your core values yes exactly and that uh, you know what Deborah that is a very real very serious thing because um there are plenty of people who need help but I will tell you, this happened to me several years ago. At the end of the year, I went back and I felt like my business that year wasn't quite where it should have been. You know, so I was kind to, you know, it was like doing the first aid, you know, trying to see what, what went wrong. Well, I went back and looked at and I, had, I, you know, I keep a calendar. So I had all the appointments I had done all year for referrals, you know, people that people had sent to me and stuff and all. And I had done... Um, probably, as I recall, over a hundred of them. Well, I didn't even have 30 new clients from those hundred referrals. When I went back and looked at it is when I sat down and met with them or, you know, on the phone and met with them, um, the truth was I gave them great input and stuff, but they really weren't serious. You know, they weren't. So after that year to this day, I have an assessment. And unless you fill out that assessment, I don't talk to you. I'm grateful for the referral. I'm delighted. But if you're not serious enough about your business to answer, and it's just a few questions, easy. But if you're not doing that, then I'm not having the conversation with you. Because the other thing the assessment set up was it showed me that they did know something about their business. And they were looking for a result. Like one of the questions I ask, if we work together, what will be different in 30 days, 60 days? six months, one year. And, and, you know, some people write it out in numbers. It'll be different. Some people write it out in things that will be different. You know, I'll be able to hire someone, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, from that day to this, to tell you my success rate on having those kind of calls uh, is not a hundred percent, but boy, I'm aiming for it, but it is huge. And so I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, you, you've got to be willing to ask, be willing to, um, you know, do it right in the first place and, and be aware of your time. Yeah. So how do you get referrals to ensure that that pipeline is continuous? I know we talked about making the minimum of one call a day, yeah, but yes. to get referrals to help fill that pipeline, because, you know, business comes from all different directions, not just one route. You bet. So when I first uh, started the, the first business that I was a partner in, you know, we grew that business to $100 million. We were selling products, you know, and uh, services for other people. So I don't know why in my brain that didn't seem to be any problem selling you or your product. But when I went over into consulting and I was selling me, that 
I learned was I, I had a very difficult time in the beginning. I, I believed in what I did and I believed I could really be of value, but I don't know, just saying things about myself, like I'm really good at this and this is how I help you, you know, and I, I really struggled with that. So I joined a group that was called CEO Network and it was 40 people, all of us, each of us rather, did different things. But the intention of the group was we, and most of us were uh, companies that were only one, two or three people, uh, but we were there to be a marketing arm for one another. So every week, 52 weeks a year, we met Wednesday morning from seven to 8.30 for the purpose of helping one another with our business. So what I found was in networking, networking was the most beautiful thing for me because I could tell people about Deborah all day long and other people in my group had no problem telling people about me. Yeah, versus talking about yourself. Yes, and so when I learned referrals, like that, then it was like, it made me so committed to networking groups to always be the one like to give first, you know, not everybody understands networking. So they don't always play the game the way, you know, it really should be played. And I'm sure I didn't in the beginning either. We have to learn, but you know, in networking, if I belong to a group for the purpose of networking, you can count on me networking. And I expect the same from my group you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that with uh, learning to network, learning the most important thing about networking is giving first. And also, you know, when you're in a group, you know, I may be able to give a lot of referrals to Deborah, but it may be Joe that can give a lot of referrals to me. So it's not the thing about networking where it's an eye for an eye. I give you one, you owe me one. Mm -hmm. That was also a power lesson from me if I just do the best that I can do and give the most referrals that I can give then that is good enough like I tell the story of one lady she was um um she was just extraordinary in sending referrals to me. And I also worked for her in helping every one of her team members that did sales. And I would say, I just feel terrible. I haven't been able to give you a referral. Well, she worked for a financial firm and her deal was we work with nice, wealthy, patient people. And she would say, Debbie, don't worry about it. One day, one day it will happen. But, you know, I felt an onus, but I got it that it wasn't a one for one. Well, sure enough, uh, it was a couple of years later and a friend of mine that we say we've known each other since childhood we had worked together at one of our first jobs called me and he sold his company for a beyond small fortune and his question to me was you know girl I don't know what to do with this kind of money and really my wife won't know what to do with it either what are we going to do and I said here's the number call my friend give me one minute to call her and tell her you're calling so I pick up the phone I call her and I say oh my gosh, I think I have the referral for you I've been looking for. And she goes, get off my phone. I hang up, <laughs> calls her. I'm sitting at my office an hour, an hour and a half. She finally calls back and she goes, how hard was that? <laughs> that, that client is still doing business with her today. Awesome. So if I only gave her one referral, she still talks about me and still sends me business to this yeah. day. Yeah, so, that's amazing. So there's a lot of gratitude in, in that as well. So I see you have that turnstile behind you. How important yes. is being grateful and 
following up with your customers and just oh my gosh uh, let me tell you, there is a brilliant man I used to work for, John Dunning. We were selling printed circuit boards. So I did not work for his company, but I had a company where we were manufacturers reps and we represented him. But he treated my partner and I like we were part of his team there in California. So when we came together one year for a sales meeting, he said that he did not believe all of us on the team were being grateful enough for the business we had been blessed with. Now, we were all nice people. Let me just say that up front, all wonderful people. But he was adamant about this. So his challenge for the year, a year, Monday through Friday, one year, was to write five thank you notes a day. Write. Wow. Write. So I am that type A firstborn, like, by golly, I'll show you. And it's not that I had never written thank you notes and things, but I really took him to task. Well, let me tell you something. That is one of the most powerful things I ever did in sales. And so I have been, that, that has been more than 20 years ago. And so I bought this rack from a friend that was closing her gift shop that has cards. Cause I always bought cards. I had them in baskets and things everywhere. So I have thank you cards there. I have, I love you cards there. I have birthday cards there, whatever cards there. And I write them every day and I handwrite them. And I say to people, they do not have to be war and peace, just a couple of sentences, genuine. And then the rest of the story I always love to tell about thank yous is the exercise was powerful and it was meaningful to people. But several years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and you're stuck with me. I'm here another 50 years. But in doing that, um, I received, of course, lovely cards and things from people. But Deborah, I received cards from people that were cards that I had sent them. Wow. And they said that they hoped that my words that helped them so much would in turn help me again. You gave me some goosebumps. <laughs> I know it gives goosebumps always telling it. But I say that because even if people don't acknowledge your thank you card or your birthday card or whatever, you know, and some of these were those people, you know, they hold on to them. It is meaningful to them. And the other thing that I think this is even more important in this day and time is nothing wrong with email, truly, and nothing wrong with making a phone call and say, Deborah, I just love you today. Thank you so much for helping me with this. But, you know, a card is something that generally people will hold on to, not, not forever, but a period of time, or they're sitting it on their desk, you know, that kind of thing. And um, it just, it's a constant reminder of you. And I think that's powerful. That's very special. And it will also keep you top of mind for many people because of the impact that you've had. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is one of the most powerful books that you have read recently? Oh, that I have read recently. Can you give me half a second and pull it off the shelf here? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I hate this. It must be in the other room, but it's Lisa Magnuson is the author, M-A-G-N-U-S-O-N. And so she's talking about uh, getting in with executives 
And I think this is one of the things for, for any of us selling anything. A lot of times we sell small, you know, to smaller companies because we think that's all we can do. We don't understand how our talents could really help people in corporate and that's a higher ticket dollar. So this book, she talks about how to get into that level. And uh, I, I it was fabulous. And it's one, uh, what I was going to show you is to show you how great it is. It's like my Bible, you know, it's like written all over in it and stuck notes and sticky notes and stuff and all. But that's probably one of the most powerful ones lately by Lisa Magnuson. And she would kill me because I can't think of the name of it. That's okay. <laughs> we, we can look that up. Yes. So how can people stay in touch with you, Debbie? The best way, if they go to my website, www.the-sales-company, spelled out, .com, the-sales-company.com. And uh, if they're interested in the book, The Field Guide to Sales, or the 12 manuals, I have uh, 12 manuals that go along with it. If you want to do a do-it-yourself program, uh, that's there too. So if you go to the-sales-company.com slash books, you will find it there. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. If you were to give one piece of advice, last final word to our listeners and our viewers, what would it be on their road to sales? Is the one that you started with earlier. I always say you don't have to be great to get started, but you do have to get started to be great. You know, being great seems like something that's so, oh, you know, kind of thing. But it's those little steps we talked about earlier, the action, being in action. You don't have to be great to get started, but you do have to get started to be great. So do one thing. Love you lots, Debbie. Thank you for coming on our show. Love you. Big hugs from Texas. Absolutely. That's a wrap, everyone. That's Debbie Marizic from The Sales Company. And you're going to want to check out her book, The Field Guide to Sales. It's phenomenal. And this girl is a treasure. Um, we'd also love for you to share this podcast with your colleagues, your family, your friends, because you never know what nugget is going to impact them. It might be the gratitude card. It, it might be just making that one phone call a day and it's okay to get voicemail. Whatever that is, you sharing this helps create a ripple effect to help people improve their lives through principles of leadership, business, and human potential. I'd also love for you to go over to my website and sign up for our newsletter where you will get the brand new ebook called The 21 Habits High Performers Kick to achieve success. So if you want to change up your game, you got to look at some of those habits that you're having. And it's free, 21, that you can even post them around the room. Also, go over to iTunes. Give us a five-star high five. Write us a review. Let people know how you're enjoying the show. The show has been exponentially growing faster this year um, since I had just started the program. And it is phenomenal. So I'm so excited to share this journey with you. Please email us. Let me know. So I can tell Debbie or you can email her directly through her website and let us know what stood out for you in this podcast. Again, as Muhammad Gandhi says, be the change you wish to see in the world. And my wish for you as always is make today great. Take care, everyone.